This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Good morning, welcome to the Nazareth Sports Hour, and welcome for Guy Lafleur Tribute Show. Guy Lafleur passed away this week. Uh, We've got a really busy show to let everybody know. Scotty Bowman, his coach for so many years in the 1970s. Steve Schutt, Yvonne Cornway, and Dave Stubbs. And we're going to start off the show with Hall of Fame coach, Scotty Bowman. Good morning, Scotty. How are you this morning? And on behalf of the Nazawali Sports Hour, our sincere condolences on the passing of Guy. I know that uh, he meant a lot to the Montreal Canadiens, and he meant a lot to you. Um, so, uh, first of all, our condolences, and welcome, Scotty. How are you this morning? Well, thank you. Uh, yes, it's a tough time for everybody, and, you know, such a great player and a great person, too. Yeah. Uh, we uh, we started. We decided to start off the show with the clip from that infamous goal against the Boston Bruins uh, in uh, in Game Seven in 1979. It wasn't the Stanley Cup Finals. It was the semifinals. But you were down to the short strokes in that game, and I can't think of anybody better to get Montreal Canadiens fans out of their seats than the incomparable one himself, Guy Lafleur. Uh, a goal for the ages. I call it the goal of the 1970s for sure. Uh, Scotty, uh, you were on the bench. Um, and that was just after the infamous Don Cherry too many men penalty. But uh, that play started off uh, with Lafleur coming up the ice and passing, uh, you know, Robinson, I think, and then to Lemaire, and then Lemaire dropped it to Guy Lafleur. You're sitting on the bench. You're not sitting on the bench. You're standing on the bench. You're watching this. Your recollections of uh, watching that play develop and your reaction when, when Guy scored on that goal. Yeah, we had we had just had a timeout before the uh, they had Boston that had the, too many men on the ice because uh, I, I'm not sure what he, what the reason was, but Guy was being double shifted the last maybe three or four shifts of the third period. We were down twice in that game, uh, maybe even three times, and there wasn't any time left, so they got the penalty for too many men on the ice and. Uh, uh, I'm not sure exactly how it. I, I do know that it was a quite a long pass. Uh, Guy ended up throwing uh, passing the puck uh, when he got over our blue line. I guess uh, to Jacques Lemaire it was very close to, to to being offside. He just was onside, and Jacques dropped it back. It was probably about a 35, 40 footer, one time shot. Like it was a it was a drop pass, and Guy just skated right into it. That was a perfect shot, of course, it was described by Lou Nanny, the uh, the color uh, analyst there. 
and it went right in the top or the bottom corner on the on the stick side. I don't know many goalies could have stopped it, and of course that that tied the game, uh, and uh, we 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 uh, scored in uh, maybe ten minutes of overtime. Yvonne Lambert, because it was now you're into sudden death overtime. It was the seventh game, like you mentioned, and it was a chance for us to get in the finals to get that fourth uh, Stanley Cup, which. Uh, you're right. It was. I mean, there's pictures of the two goals that you see all the time in the '70s. I was, the first one was Bobby Orr's Bobby Orr's goal against. Uh, I was I was with the St. Louis Blues. That was in the, that was uh, in, in 1970. Yeah, it was in May 70. May 10th, yeah. 1970. And this is uh, this is the goal. Uh, you know that. Uh, uh, Guy, Guy kept us going about uh, ten, nine years later. So uh, certainly, uh, I, I will have to. I have to agree with you, Scotty. It was uh, Bobby Orr's goal. It's. Uh, I guess we'll call them one E and one B of the two goals <laughs> yeah. in the 1970s. Yeah, was, uh, Bobby Orr's goal in 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 '70, and of course Guy in 1979. Yeah. Uh, uh, Scotty, at this point, I'll turn it over to my co-host Naz Marchese. Naz, sure, Scott. Scotty, how did uh, Lafleur handle the pressures of playing in Montreal? Well, it was pretty difficult the first few years because you're right; it was an awful lot of pressure trying to replace the, the team had won the Stanley Cup in a big upset, as everyone knows, upset Boston and Chicago uh, in the springtime uh, the year before. Uh, you know, when you think about it, and then he's, he's drafted number one with a lot of controversy because there was some other really top players in there. And uh, it wasn't easy coming into a, a team like Montreal for, uh, you know, a kid out of junior. And uh, being a centerman was even more difficult because we, there was really some strong teams. Chicago was a strong team in those years uh, with, uh, you know, Bobby Hull and Dan Makita was a centerman. And uh, Bobby Clark was really in his prime starting there with uh, Philly. And um, you had Rangers, a good, strong team that nearly won a cup in, in, in 72. Uh, that would be, uh, you know, Jean Rattel and Phil Esposito in Boston. There was a lot of good players in, in the, in the uh, league at center ice. And it's not easy for a young centerman to come in and you're taking face-offs against guys that have got a lot of experience. And I think it was tough on them, you know, because Jean Beliveau was a centerman, as you know, too. But then Guy, when he was moved onto the wing, uh, and, you know, it took a couple of years. But, you know, the next year after that, we drafted uh, in the early rounds uh, Steve Shutt. Steve didn't play much the first year, but he, he took off after his first year. And, uh, Became a what a combination they were for first with Pete Mahovlich uh, for three or four years and then he ended up with Jacques Lemaire. So you know it was a tremendous line through the 70s and it was some good lines. I mean Bobby Clark, Bill Barber, and, and Reggie Leach were an outstanding uh, line for for sure. Uh, you had the Rangers, uh, Hadfield, Rattel, and Gilbert. So. And you know, even even Boston, you know, with uh, with uh, Hodge and Cashman and Esposito, so that line though of uh, uh, both Mahovlich and uh, and uh, Lemaire with Lafleur and Shuck was a great line for most of that decade. You know, and Steve came along, and 
Dean was a unique player because not only his goal scoring prowess uh, was his uh, playmaking, and, uh, and I'm sure Steve Shuttle mentioned the same thing. You know, they they were like two peas in a pod when they broke down. When they would get out of their own end with long, really good defensemen making long passes up to center line, and uh, they would come in on on defense very seldom when they had a two on one or a two on two that didn't result in a great scoring chance. So uh, it was just uh, it was a perfect match for both Guy and, and Steve. Steve scored, you know, every year a few more. Where he went from 15 to 30 to 45 to 60. I think they both scored 60 goals with Canadians. It might still be a record. But they were uh, they were it was an awesome team led by that line, and we had good checkers as well. We had Bob Ganey and Doug Jarvis, uh, Risebrow, Lambert, Trombley. Uh, we had a team for most ages, you know. Uh, Scotty, really quickly, I know you've uh, you've got a, a busy schedule today, and we really appreciate you making time for us. Sure. Uh, uh, really quickly, I want the perspective of a coach. Uh, Guy Lafleur has been described as an artist on the ice, uh, obviously a superstar, an icon. From a coach's perspective, you you and Guy started at the same time with the Montreal Canadiens. Um, how do you coach an artist, Scotty? We didn't do an awful lot, as you know. It was a tough start for him being compared. Marcel Dion had a great start in Detroit, and Richard Martin was in Buffalo with a great line of Gilbert Perrault and Rene Robert. So there was a lot of pressure on him, and uh, he never complained. He didn't, uh, you know, he was the eye of the media, but he wasn't in the media that much. Uh, you know, he just took his spot on the team. It, it was tough because. You know, um, the team had won the Cup the year before. Yvonne Cornway was right in his prime, a great right winger, a Hall of Fame player as well. So, you know, uh, you had to sort of wait and turn. And Yvonne had experienced a lot of the same uh, situation when he came out of junior. Yvonne had to just wait his time. He played his first year or so just on the power play. You know, people are impatient waiting for these players to come out of junior. But uh, I think he had a lot of help from Ari Richard, and we had, we still had Frank Mahovlich. We had, we had Yvette Cornway. The team had uh, Jacques Lemaire and uh, Serge Savard and Guy Lapointe from their Stanley Cup wins uh, earlier on in the late 60s. So, you know, it was a team that was building up with young players. Uh, the next year came in Larry Robinson, and uh, as I mentioned, Steve Shutt, followed the following year by Bob Ganey. So it seemed like a parade of low draft picks uh, that Sam Pollock was able to orchestrate, and they all grew up together and became a dynasty. It didn't happen overnight, but Guy took off, as you know, in the mid-'70s uh, with uh, what I, I saw the other day, five, five or six straight years, um, more than a more than uh, anybody else in the league, uh, all-star right winger scoring uh, 50 goals consecutively. That's pretty pretty big company, and you know, relatively healthy most of his career, which really helped him uh, achieve what he wanted to do. But he was an artist, and uh, I, as I always said, not only a goal scorer but a playmaker. And there's a lot of great players that make the Hall of Fame that make it either on goal scoring or, or, or making plays. and he, he could do both, and he did it right at the top of his game. So 
Scotty, we, uh, we, uh, we're going to thank you. Uh, you've been generous with your time with us sure. this morning. You've made time for us. We're not going to uh, take thank advantage you. of your generosity. We're going to let you go and get on with your day, and we will just simply say thank you very much. You're welcome. And, and uh, thank you for your sharing your, uh, your fond remembrances of, uh, of our hero, Guy Lafleur. Thank you, Scotty. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Scotty Bowman. Uh, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back with uh, with Steve Shutt, uh, Guy Lafleur's line mate with the Montreal Canadiens for all those great years in the 1970s. Steve Shutt, we'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we realised that our extra-large pizza is two whole inches longer than the so-called extra-large from the big pizza conglomerates. How do they even call theirs extra-large when Pizzaville gives you 18 whopping inches? Steaming hot. Because, let's be honest, who wouldn't want two more inches? Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. We all value our sporting heroes. But what price would you put on one in mint condition? If you ask us, you'll get an honest answer. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise is looking to buy your vintage collection of hockey, basketball, baseball, football, and soccer heroes. Come and see us in person at our new Toronto Mint Inc. Gallery, now open at 198 Davenport, east of Avenue Road, or visit our store online at mintink.ca. Show us what you got, and we'll show you the money. Think Mint Inc. Are they ever wrong about sports? I can answer that in two words. Impossible. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on AM 740 in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, live streaming on the internet, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, former Montreal Canadian, Steve Shutt. Steve, good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning. Well, I've had better days, I guess. Yeah, I, I know, Steve. You and I chatted the other morning, and uh, I just want to pass on to our listeners how emotional you were. Um, it was very difficult for you to talk. Uh, we've all lost uh, a hockey icon, uh, such an incredible part of our memories growing up. Uh, Guy Lafleur, and of course, uh, Guy Lafleur and the Montreal Canadiens, uh, those amazing, amazing teams from the 1970s, of which you were an incredibly significant part of. Uh, Steve, uh, I will just say, um, we chatted. 
um, you got an opportunity to see Guy in the uh, last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, like for me, that was it was the biggest shock that uh, they left us so quick because I'd seen them two weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was up in Montreal and I went in with I went in with my son. You know, I went to see him at his house. And I told my son, I says, you know, be prepared because you just don't know what to expect. But uh, we got in there, and I mean, he looked he looked pretty good. And uh, you know, there, there was a bed set up in in the living room, and so he could, you know, look outside, you know, uh, outside in Ilbazar where his, where he lived, and see the water and stuff. <clears throat> and you know, we had a conversation for an hour, and he, you know, he just. Uh, he was fine, and he literally got up and walked into another room and came back and uh, gave my son two bottles of uh, Guy Lafleur wine. Uh, <laughs> so when we walked out of there, it was, both of us said, "You know, you know what? You know, you know, we know what the end is, where it's coming, but." We didn't, you know. We thought that he was going to last a lot longer than he did, than 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 this. Uh, both of us, as we walked out there, we were that, and that was the most, uh, I guess, the most uh, surprising part of all. Uh, Steve, I'll turn it over to my co-host Naz Marchese. Steve, your first impressions of seeing Guy Lafleur on the ice for the first time? Uh, well. <clears throat> You know, when I first got there in Montreal, he'd been there for one year already. He'd had, I think he scored like 29 goals, but, you know, that was considered a disappointment for him. Um, and I think he was still trying to figure out the league, and, and uh, uh, you know, he just wasn't really comfortable yet, but you could see just when he was on the ice, you know, the talent that he had. Um, and... Uh, it, it, you know, you knew it was, it was just a matter of time before before everything started clicking together. Uh, we're talking to Steve. Uh, you're a Toronto boy. Uh, Newtonbrook, if I'm not mistaken. But Naz and I certainly remember going down to Maple Leaf Gardens on Sunday afternoons, watching the Marlies play. You would, uh, if I recall, Dave Gardner and Billy Harris on uh, one of the great lines in Marley history. Um, Toronto boy, get drafted by the Canadians. You go to the Montreal Canadiens uh, training camp. You're surrounded by all these legends, Lafleur and uh, Cornwallier and uh, so many others. What's the mystique of the Montreal Canadiens, Steve, looking at it from uh, uh, a Toronto perspective? Well, everybody has been, you know, for years, everybody said, what is the mystique of the Montreal Canadiens? Um, and, and you know, you know what I think it is right now in, in reflection? You know, you're looking at, you know, Guy Lafleur. You're looking at, you know, Beliveau. You're looking at Morris Richard. You're looking at Henry Richard, uh, Ivan Cornoyer, Serge Savard. You know, all of these guys. These guys are humble. You know, there's no, there's no ego. Um, there's no, I'm better than you. Um, you know, there when you join that team you're part of the team you're part of the family and they're not better than you they don't treat you know they don't treat themselves that that um you know they're up in this sphere and you're down there and i think 
after all these years, I think I figured out what the mystique of the Montreal Canadiens was all about. And and that's just being a good teammate. And, and everybody is good teammates to each other. And when I started thinking about that, <clears throat> I started thinking, you know, because I've had a lot of conversations lately with uh, Brian Trotche, who obviously has, has had his own grief uh, uh, lately as well. And if you look at the whole Islander team, you know, they were very similar too. You know, like Brian and and uh, uh, and Clarkey and, and, and Mike, you know, like they didn't, they, they weren't ego-driven. Um, and so when you get your top guys like that with very little ego, how how can the, the, the all the guys all underneath there have an ego or <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going to say that that's that was the mystique. That's not only the mystique yeah. of the Montreal Canadiens, but that's the mystique of of winning hockey teams or winning sports teams. Absolutely, Nats. Steve, how did you feel about the pressure in Montreal? Did it affect you as much as the francophone players? It, you know what? Uh, I was drafted there, uh, played there for 12 years, and you know when you're playing there, when you didn't know anything else, what you know? <laughs> that's that's how it was. You didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize really how much how much pressure there was until my last year when I went to Los Angeles, you know, and, and then you, you realize that, that, man, there's a little bit more pressure in Montreal than there is in, in Los Angeles to play. Um, and that's, you know, it was funny because I could never figure out why we, we get, you know, we'd, we'd make some trades and we'd get up, a, you know, a good hockey player that would come in, you know, who'd been in the NHL for a couple of years, and they couldn't play in Montreal. And it was because of the pressure. And as I said, because we'd played there basically my whole career, that was just part and parcel of playing in Montreal. I didn't never even realize any any difference. Steve, uh, do you look but, uh, but let me let me yeah, sorry, let me ahead. let me say something else though. Too is uh, you do feel the pressure, but the pressure is that you can't cheat the public. They know how well you can play, and they want you to play to that expectation every night. So in a lot of respects, you know, that pressure made everybody better players. Uh, Steve, shut. Steve, um, you were emotional. Gila Fleur was your teammate, but he was he's obviously the emotion that you've shown. He was much more than your teammate. He was your friend, um, your brother. Uh, certainly went to when you when you fight those battles in in a team sport. Uh, you know, there's a bond, there's a connection that lasts a lifetime. Guy Lafleur, the uh, people who've talked about him and uh, have said he was humble, authentic, and uh, never never the small town kid. Uh, he never lost sight of where he came from. Um, and that, I think fans, uh, there's been such an incredible outpouring of affection for Guy since he's passed away. Uh, so many people want to talk about him. So many people want to re- uh, reflect their memories of him. Um, and there's one thing I think I've realized over the year. You can't fake genuineness. 
You can fake it for maybe one for a little time. You can't fake it over a career. You can't fake it over a lifetime. I want you to describe your friend, your brother, Guy Lafleur. Well, he he was what he was. Uh, like, and you're you're totally correct. Over the course of years, you can't hide who you are, and so everybody got a chance to see him. Uh, you know, he was very open. Uh, there was no hidden agenda at all. Um, you know, like this guy was a hockey player. He was born to play hockey, and that's all he wanted to do. He he didn't want to get involved in politics. He didn't want to get involved in in anything. And and I really never I really never heard him say a bad thing about anybody. Uh, you know, he was just driven to play hockey. And I remember his best, we used to see him, uh, like every, uh, he'd be on the ice about 45 minutes before everybody else was. And that's that was his best moments. You could just see in his eyes that, you know, he had a clean sheet of ice, you know, he had 25 or 30 pucks, and he'd just go down the ice and just shoot pucks. And, uh, you know, he, there was nobody else on the ice, there was no reporters. There was nobody after him. Um, it was almost like he was just on the river, just playing river hockey. And and I think that was probably the best moments that he ever had. Uh, and and you could and when you walked in there and you and you saw it, uh, you realized that 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 was his that was his place. Um, NASA, we've, uh, I'll let you wrap up. Last question for Steve. And, uh, Steve, we want, we don't want to keep your captain holding, uh, Yvonne Cornway's, uh, joining us right after you. So, Naz, uh, last question or comment for, for Steve. Steve, uh, Bob Ganey was on TSN on Friday and mentioned okay. that you were up just a bit. I just can't hear you. Sorry. Bob Ganey was on TSN on Friday and mentioned that you were the key to the first career turning Turning point in the player's career. How do you feel about that? Uh, well, sorry, what did he say? I didn't. Uh, I, you know, it's, uh, I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll uh, rephrase that, uh, Steve. Uh, we do these shows remotely, and, and sometimes uh, what he was what Naz was saying is uh, Bob Ganey was quoted on uh, on radio on Friday that uh, Lafleur's career certainly got a jolt uh, when he started. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, when he started playing with you, it sort of things gelled, I guess. For the both for the both of you, mm-hmm. right around that time, uh, your recollections of uh, the the chemistry and how that changed both mm-hmm. of your careers. Well, you know the the one thing is I was obvious, you know, like I guess my strength as a player is to play as a team with a different lo- with different line mates, and obviously in junior playing with with Dave Gardner and Billy Harris, uh, you know I was you know I was able to adapt. You know, playing with somebody like Lafleur uh, was not the easiest player to play with because he was a hundred percent instinct player. Uh, he, as he told me one day, he said, "You know what?" He says, "When I'm going the ice, down the ice, he says I have no idea what I'm going to do." He says, "Because if I don't know what I'm going to do, how is the other team going to stop me?" And then I said, "Well, I'm." playing with you so what am i supposed to do 
So he looked over at me and he gave me a half smile and he says, that's your problem. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Great story, Steve. Uh, Great times. Uh, certainly uh, on on, uh, on Zoomer Radio and, and our listeners, uh, Guy Lafleur, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, you know, it's difficult uh, for Toronto Maple Leafs fans. Uh, you know, there's a couple of times certainly uh, you, you bounced us in the playoffs. But looking back on it all these years later, uh, certainly uh, the greatest of respect for one of the greatest, if not the greatest team in NHL history, for some of the greatest players in NHL history, um, so many incredibly great memories uh, your team has left behind, and so many incredible memories that Guy Lafleur, uh, the hockey player and 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 the human being, left behind. He will be yeah. forever treasured, uh, and we thank you. We thank you so much for taking the time as his friend uh, to come on our show and, and sharing your thoughts with us. We really, All really right. appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, Take care. Thank you. Uh, Steve Shutt. I don't know if our producer has Ivan Cornway on the line. Ivan, are you there? Ivan? No, then we'll uh, we'll go to break, and uh, hopefully our producer can get a hold of Ivan during the break, and we'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville declared, We'll never be the fastest! We'll never be the cheapest! We'll never be the snazziest dressed! What? Yeah, my point is, we want to be the best! At Pizzaville, we want to make the best pizza. Stone-baked, the traditional Italian way. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. We all value our sporting heroes. But what price would you put on one in mint condition? If you ask us, you'll get an honest answer. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise is looking to buy your vintage collection of hockey, basketball, baseball, football, and soccer heroes. Come and see us in person at our new Toronto Mint Inc. Gallery, now open at 198 Davenport, east of Avenue Road, or visit our store online at mintink.ca. Show us what you got, and we'll show you the money. Think Mint Inc. Last minute of play in the game. Unlike sports, the outcome of palliative care isn't determined in the dying seconds. Physically, socially, and spiritually, palliative care is giving someone the best quality of life for however long life remains, while supporting their loved ones. All services are free of charge with partial government funding. 
the need for palliative care is great. Making an impact is the newly opened Hospice Vaughn Mario and Nick Cortellucci Hospice Palliative Care Center of Excellence. A truly amazing 10-bed residence, the first palliative care hub in Vaughn. If you share the belief that everyone deserves to live until they die, get involved. Volunteer your time or donate to hospicevon.com. We are for community, by community. And together, we are here to serve. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on AM 740 in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, and also live streaming www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Montreal captain from the 1970s Hockey Hall of Favor, Ivan Cornway. Ivan, how are you this morning? How are you this morning? Pretty good. I mean, uh, I cannot still believe that uh, my friend... Uh, Left out uh, left us for uh, forever, but uh, I think it's reality, and uh, you have you have to uh, think about him. Yeah, we're certainly uh, before we even get started, Ivan. Um, you know, we chatted very very briefly yesterday on behalf of uh, us. Uh, we uh, we certainly want to pass on our sympathies and our condolences uh, to you, Thank to you. the Montreal Canadiens organization, to the Lafleur family. Uh, Guy Lafleur was much beloved. Um, uh, you, uh, in the Toronto area, even amongst Toronto Maple Leafs fans, Ivan, and we chatted. We chatted very briefly. You know, we uh, Toronto Toronto Maple Leafs fans and Montreal Canadiens fans sometimes don't see eye to eye, and we fought lots of battles over the years. But uh, <laughs> yeah. sometimes when you fight, when you fight battles, you got to put down your weapons and you got to respect your opponent. And certainly, a, we have an opportunity to pay tribute to Guy Lafleur today. Uh, he is a hero amongst Toronto Maple Leafs fans, amongst all NHL fans, because of the way he played hockey, because of the way he conducted himself, because of the way he will always be remembered as a gentleman who loved the game of hockey, played with the ultimate passion, and perhaps even better, Yvonne, he was uh, he was an incredible human being off the ice. Uh, they say that Thurso, Quebec, where he was born, Never left him. Uh, Ivan, um, I'd like you to take a moment to talk about your good friend, Le- uh, Guy Lafleur, and uh, the amazing human being, that he, the humble human being that he was, and uh, and what he meant to you. Yeah, well, the, the first time I, I, uh, I see Guy Lafleur on the ice practice, I said, wow, wow, Jean-Vivre will just retire. And I said, uh, what a hockey player this guy is going to be, boy. I mean, uh, I was very pleased to have him, uh, uh, to see him for the first time. And uh, I said, well, I went five Stanley Cup before he arrived. And I said, now I, I got another chance to, with, to win a lot more Stanley Cup with him coming on, on our team. And uh, I think if I were if I would have been a scout, I think I, I did the right move and I would I would have looked very good. Yeah, you certainly would have. Uh, I'll turn over to my co-host, Naz Marchese. Naz? Yvonne, who is the best, what was the best Montreal Canadiens team in I those five years? I think it's 76 when we beat the Flyers in four straight. Uh, I, one year, I think it's before that, we, we lost 10 games in the, in the season. And we said, uh, I don't think uh, nobody is going to beat that. It's uh, almost impossible, even us. And the year after, we lost eight games. 
all in the season. So I knew win the Stanley Cup both year both year on the road. So I think uh, those two years, I think we had the we had the best team ever. Uh, we're talking of uh, hockey Hall of Famer Ivan Cornway. Ivan, um, I've uh, you know since uh, Guy passed away, and there's been a lot of demands on your time. You're getting calls from every media outlet asking you to uh, talk about Guy and so many other of your teammates. Uh, we spoke to Steve Shutt and uh, and Scotty Bowman and so many. You're all being called upon um, because there's this outpouring of affection uh, for Guy right around, uh, I'd literally say around, obviously in Quebec because he's a national hero in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Uh, around Canada, amongst NHL fans, um, and we talked about uh, with Steve the mystique of the Montreal Canadiens. And I saw, I heard one of your interviews, Yvonne, um, because there's a tradition. There's the torch that's been passed. Uh, your part, obviously, uh, an incredible part of that tradition. Morens and uh, Maurice and Jean and Guy and Yvonne and Henri and and I and I heard an interview. You once said um, when you go into that Montreal Canadiens dressing room. Doesn't matter who you are. Uh, doesn't matter how many Stanley Cup rings. Doesn't matter how hard trophies. You're rookie. You're veteran. You're all equal. And you you describe that as the key to the success of so much of the Montreal Canadiens. That you are all equals in that dressing room. Could you uh, share a little bit more of that with us, Ivan? Well, I think uh, this is something we we heard uh, when we came with the Montreal Canadiens uh, because. Uh, all the guy was much older than me. My first game with Montreal, I was 19 years old. And those days, you don't make the big team till you may be 21, 22, and uh, play somewhere else before. But I, I jumped from the junior to the Montreal Canadian. And this, this is something then they give you the pride to follow because they were winning before I arrived too. They, they win a lot of Stanley Cup before I arrived. And, and w- w- when you arrive in that room, you feel like, like you've been playing for many years. Uh, you feel important, and um, it's not only the guy who's scored a more goal or, or played the best. The best, and, and we're all equal if you want to win. I mean, you, everybody's got to do his job. Uh, Yvonne Cornway, uh, Naz, I'll turn it over to you. Yvonne, uh, Lafleur B uh, retired and then came back after two and a half years and looked pretty good coming back with the Rangers. Were you surprised when he came back? Yvonne, I don't know if uh, if you heard Every that question. Today. So, uh, I'll, I'll, re- I'll repeat it. Uh, were you surprised when uh, Guy came uh, out of retirement to play for the Rangers and then the Nordique? I don't think so because uh, it, we, I call him sometime many times and he said, uh, so "I'm bored a little bit. I've been I've been washing my car for three times today, so that was just a matter of time, I think." Then, and he retired too too soon. That's what happened. So he, he was really he loves to play hockey. That was that was his passion, and uh, to 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 him finish the way he finished with Montreal Canadian, he was not satisfied. So he tried to. To go back and uh, and uh, that was quite something what he did. Yeah, it, it certainly was. Uh, Yvonne, we won't keep you much longer. Uh, we just uh, simply want to leave it on, off. Uh, um, I believe the Canadians are playing tonight in Montreal. Are they not? Yes, yes. Uh, you know what? Uh, I think I, I knew he was popular. 
you know, and uh, the day he passed away, I think I, be, I wake up at 7 o'clock, somebody called me, and uh, they called me till 9 o'clock at night, and then that was not stop. So you have to be very popular, and Guy was a guy with the people. Yeah, he, he certainly was. Uh, I'll be watching tonight. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps thinking of the uh, of the ceremony that there will be. Um, and I know Montreal Canadiens fans. They they adore they adore their heroes. They respect their heroes. Uh, certainly, uh, Guy Lafleur was much more than a hockey player. He was a yes. hero. He was a hero. He's a national hero in Quebec. And this is this is just an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity for the Montreal fans. And there will be more uh, to show. And I, I just, I, I think there's going to be a lot of tears shed tonight. He and, was, uh, he was a great hockey player, but a beautiful uh, uh, out, out of the ice. He was an honest man out of the ice, and uh, that's why the people like him so much. Ivan, you are a proud embodiment of the Montreal Canadiens heritage. You were their captain. Uh, for Stanley Cups in the late 1970s, you were a personal hero of mine. I remember you playing for the Ham- for the Montreal <laughs> Junior Canadiens. I go back that far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I go right. back that far watching you Sunday afternoons uh, yeah. at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens and watching you Thursday nights from the Hamilton Forum. They used to play uh, Hamilton Red Wing games on. on the Marlins were better than us, so they were bigger. <laughs> Uh, you had some pretty good teams too, and some great players, Ivan. It's always yeah. always a pleasure, and more so a privilege uh, for you to join us. We thank you. We thank you for taking the time for us. We really congratulations for your uh, for your uh, station. That we is very nice, Ivan Cornway. Um, you know the Montreal Canadiens have produced so many so many classy gentlemen, gracious players, and legends. Uh, and it's just it's just like uh, having having the ability to talk to Scotty Bowman. Uh, Steve Shutt and Yvonne Cornway in the in the kid like I'm like a kid in the candy store, Naz. Um, anyways, I, uh, I, I I we're having some technical difficulties this morning. My Skype connection isn't working with my producer, so I, I'm just going to throw it out there. Dave Stubbs, are you on the line? Yes, I am indeed here, guys. Yeah, sorry, I I, I just uh, I just try to communicate with our producer. I understand that you were actually on the line through most of that interview. Uh, I, I was listening. I've been listening to the entire show. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Steve, uh, Dave is an NHL official NHL historian, wrote for the Montreal Gazette for, for numerous years. Uh, I, I um, read his material on social media all the time. If you're a hockey fan and you're, um, you want to you read some great, great stories and remembrances of some of the greats from the past, uh, the first, the first gentleman I turn to is Dave Stubbs. Uh, Dave, thank you for joining us. I know this has also been a difficult week for you because you know you're not just a, a writer and a journalist. You actually become friends with, and that shows, and that's the genuineness of what you write, and uh, which I appreciate. You've written some great stuff about so many legends that that were heroes of mine. I would simply say, Dave. Guy Lafleur, the Guy Lafleur you knew. Uh, please uh, share your fond remembrances of, uh, of Guy Lafleur with our listeners. Well, I was 14 years of age when Guy was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. I cut his uh, draft stories out of the Montreal Gazette and the Montreal Star from my scrapbooks and uh, obviously got to see him through his prime, uh, followed him as a fan, and 
the work that I did as a journalist and in the last six years uh, with the National Hockey League, uh, working as a columnist and historian for the league, I've uh, been able to spend some really, really good quality time with him. We, um, I guess we had a 24-hour trip together in 2016 out to St. John's, Newfoundland for a St. John's Ice Caps game, and that was uh, something I'll never forget. But I think what will stick with me forever with Guy is last June, uh, he had the Stanley Cup for a day, and um, he, was, he was quite ill. He was undergoing a lot of treatment at that point. He still had some pretty good strength. But instead of taking the Stanley Cup and just sitting at home with it and inviting some friends and family over, he uh, took it into a public setting where... It was used uh, as a fundraiser for the Guy Lafleur Fund, which had been established in March to raise money for the cancer unit of the uh, Montreal Hospital where he was being treated. Uh, three days later, we went and sat down uh, for breakfast, and uh, we just started to talk about uh, the Montreal Canadiens and the playoffs and, uh, and whatnot, and um, we started to talk about his health. And uh, Guy sat across from me and uh, grew very introspective and uh, started to speak about his own mortality. He knew that the finish line was out there a lot a lot nearer than he wanted it to be. And uh, this was a guy, all of these guys, when I was growing up and, and watching the original six and then watching expanded hockey, uh, a lot of these guys were just, they, they were my heroes and they were immortals. I mean, you just could never even imagine them getting a head cold with cancer. So I'm sitting across his table from Guy, and he's talking about his mortality and talking about the fact that he feels remorseful, almost guilty, that he doesn't have more days left to be able to contribute to the, the health and the welfare and raise money for fellow cancer patients. And and Guy is sitting across from me in tears, and I, I mean, I didn't know which way to look. I mean, here's a man who is immortal to me, suddenly discussing his own mortality and, and how uh, how much more he wanted to do, but how he knew that um, he, uh, he said, um, uh, my borrowed time is running out. And um, it broke my heart. And uh, the last couple of days, uh, just uh, reflecting on Guy and writing what I've been doing for the NHL, for NHL.com, has reinforced all of that. It was just a wonderful relationship that we had, a, a great friendship, and uh, I miss him immensely. And uh, tonight, I mean, I can't even imagine how it's going to beat the Bell Center. The Boston Bruins are in town, and what better opponent, right? I mean, because Lafleur's most famous goal ever will be the goal that's set up overtime in Game 7 of the 79 Stanley Cup semifinal. You can still hear Danny Gallivan. I mean, it's yeah. Danny's greatest goal call ever. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be a very, very emotional building tonight and in the days ahead uh, as Guy Lafleur will be celebrated by the Montreal Canadiens and by fans far and wide uh, the the emotions will be very raw and will be uh, very very close to the surface for a lot of people. Uh, we're talking to NHL historian uh, Dave Stubbs. Um, Naz, I'd like to turn it over to you now. Dave, was there um, a lot of discussion concerning Marcel Dion and Guy Lafleur when they were drafting Lafleur? Did they ever consider drafting Dion? Yeah, there was a huge amount of discussion about that. It could have almost been a coin toss. I mean, Sammy Pollock, the general manager of the Canadians, had wangled that deal, right, to be able to get that first draft pick. Uh, and Lafleur had scored 130 goals in his final season with the Quebec Rempar, and Marcel Dion had been burning up the, uh, the Ontario League with the St. Catharines. So, I mean, it could have been either or. It could have been one, one uh, basically 1A one and 1B. I mean, um, you know, you could not have gone wrong if you drafted Marcel Dion. And, in fact, after the first couple seasons, um, because Lafleur was not getting a lot of ice time, as Scotty alluded to at the start of your show, uh, and the Canadians who won the 71 Stanley Cup, and he was having to find a bit of a role on that team and develop from a junior into the NHL, uh, Marcel Dion had gone to a lesser team, I guess, if you will, in Detroit, and he's getting uh, all-purpose minutes. He's playing uh, power play. He's playing uh, even strength. He's getting a ton of time. He's putting up a lot of points. 
And there were some fans in Montreal after two seasons who were saying the Canadians drafted the wrong guy. Um, and Lafleur was, you know, he was he was walking on eggshells a bit. I mean, he was still trying to find his way. And uh, and I've mentioned this in a number of things that I've done. And Scotty has laughed about this. Uh, Henri Richard was uh, Guy's roommate early on in his career. And at one point, um, you know, Guy just pulled Henri aside and said, "Listen, I'm really struggling. I, I kind of don't even know what to do here." And Henri put his his arm around him, uh, being a great veteran with a lot of sage, a lot of wisdom, said, "Listen." What you want to do is listen to every single word that Scotty Boma tells you, and then ignore all of it. <laughs> and and Scotty has laughed. I mean, you you actually spoke to that earlier. I mean, how do you teach an artist how to paint? I mean, Guy saw the ice in a different way, much the way Wayne Gretzky would see the ice later on, much the way Mario Lemieux would as well. I mean, the very best players just have a different vision of the ice. And at one point, uh, I was speaking to Jacques Lemaire in the past couple days, and um, and and Lemaire pulled uh, Lafleur aside at one point and said, "Like, how did you find me with that pass? Like, how did you know I was going to be there?" And Lafleur looked at him and just said, "Because that's where you were supposed to be." So, I mean, that's that's the type of player that Guy Lafleur was. I mean, on the ice, he was magical, uh, but you know what he meant to the Montreal Canadiens and their fans, and to fans uh, of the game of hockey. I mean, well beyond uh, the Montreal uh, Forum. Uh, and the province of Quebec. Uh, yeah, certainly. Dave, uh, we're talking to Dave Stubbs, uh, official historian for so the NHL. Felt. Dave, uh, the Montreal Canadiens are the, um, you know, the you, throughout history have, for lack of a better term, the model franchise um, in so many ways. And, you know, the tradition, you know, and, you know, we, we, we talk about values, uh, you know, sometimes these values seem to not be as prominent in today's world as they have been in the past. But things like respect and things like tradition, and you know, and the, and the Montreal Canadiens have this wonderful, wonderful symbol of the torch. And to you, and that's of course from uh, from Flanders Fields. I think it's John McRae, if my memory serves me right. Mm-hmm. To you, with failing hands, would pass the torch, and they've always. Canadians have always followed. Certainly, the Canadians of uh, of, of our youth followed that. When Guy came, Guy, Guy came in. He came in the year after Belleville retired. They had just won the Stanley Cup. Uh, surprisingly, knocked out uh, the Boston Bruins and upset the Bruins and the and the Blackhawks. But you know, Scotty Bowman comes in the same year. Jean Belleville retires. Guy Lafleur comes in as. Uh, you know the the next one, I guess, for lack of a better term, did Guy uh, did Guy understand um, the pressure? Uh, did he understand what? Uh, I'm not sure what he was getting into, but did he understand his role that he was now being passed the torch? Did he understand that when he was arrived? I think I think that he did. You have to understand when Jean Beliveau arrives in Montreal, it's 1953, and the Rocket still has seven years to go. So Beliveau and the Rocket played together for seven years. When the Rocket retires in 1960, it's very apparent that Jean Beliveau was the heir apparent. I mean, he's going to take that torch and he's going to carry it forward. Um, when Guy Lafleur arrives, it's 1971. Jean Beliveau has literally just retired. Scotty Bowman has been hired that same day or 24 hours earlier. And the Montreal Canadiens, on top of all that, have been put up for sale by the Molson brothers. So it's not as though there was nothing going on in hockey in Montreal on draft day in 1971. Um, but he understood what he was, I think, getting into. Um, the pressure, though, one of the, the, the great things, and I don't remember which Canadians legend told me this a couple days ago, but he said the great thing about Scotty, about uh, Guy, rather, is that he just, he nothing bothered him. I mean, he just, it was Phil Esposito who told me. He said, you know, he'd come out and play against the Bruins. Mike Milbury 
would tell them when the Canadians were coming to Boston, you're not going to get out of this building alive and uh, and, <laughs> and uh, watch your back. And and all all that Lafleur would do would be you know he'd go out and score a couple goals, and the Canadians would win the game, and Lafleur would sit and smile at the Boston bench. So. He knew. I mean, he knew what he was getting into. It was uh, a little bit of a different situation for Mr. Beliveau because uh, there wasn't the same attention, I think, to the French and the English uh, part of the Montreal Canadiens, the flying Frenchmen and so on. There just wasn't that focus on it. But when Lafleur came in, he was going to be the next great French-Canadian star. And absurdly, people thought that he was going to fill the skates of the Rocket and Jean Beliveau immediately. And no one would ever fill the skates of those two guys. Uh, What Guy Lafleur did is he made number 10 famous, and he carved out a very, very specific and a very outstanding role for himself, playing as Guy Lafleur and not trying to be someone else. Uh, Dave, we've uh, just got a couple of minutes left, and uh, we're going to have to wrap up, wrap it up. Um, I know this has been an emotional time for you. Um, you know, in a minute, uh, minute or so we have left, I'll, I'll just turn it over to you and uh, allow you to uh, pass on to our listeners your uh, your 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 final thoughts on the life and times of uh, Guy Lafleur. Well, there'll, there'll never be another one like him. Um, you know, he was the most exciting player of his generation, and I'll, I'll give my last couple seconds to Toe Blake, who uh, actually talked to Scotty Bowman and said at some point that there were three members of the Montreal Canadiens in history who would lift him out of his seat. One was Howie Morenz, who Toe had played with, uh, and the next was the Rocket, who Toe played with and coached to uh, a number of Stanley Cups. And then Guy Lafleur. Um, you know, those three guys could take the puck and they would literally lift you out of your seat at the Montreal Forum and out of any other building. They were very special players, all three of them. And they were very, very, you know, they were marquee players that fans would pay just to go and watch them perform, whether they were with their own team or not. So we'll miss Lafleur greatly because of what he brought to the game and what he brought to fans you know, beyond the game, just, just how he, how he connected with fans and was just such, such a great presence and a great ambassador for the Montreal Canadiens and for the game of hockey. We've been talking to Dave Stubbs. Dave, we want to thank you sincerely for assisting us with our Guy uh, Lafleur tribute show. We've unfortunately run out of time as we always do on Sunday mornings. Uh, we, we very much will I'll keep, you know, I, I always keep an eye out for your, for your writing. You bring a passion and, uh, a genuineness and a friendship to your writing about so many greats of the past. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, Dave. My pleasure. You had three legends and a typist, so I was happy. Well, you're a legend typist. You're a Hall of Famer in your own way, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again. Dave Stubbs. Nabs, we only got about 30 seconds left. Uh, let's, uh, Leafs, we're into the, uh, you know, let's really, really quickly. Uh, it's been a good week for the Leafs. We're going to get Tampa Bay next, starting a week Monday, I think. Yeah, so uh, we'll certainly uh, look forward to that. We didn't have a chance, but, uh, you know, this is why I mentioned one thing. Remember when we were kids and we were watching the Le Maire, Le Fleur, and yeah. Le Chat line? Remember that? I certainly do. And uh, on that note, Naz, I always give you the last word. I will leave that uh, that memory in our listeners' minds. Le Fleur, Chat, and Le Maire. A better way to finish off a show. To all our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this. Watch tonight. It will be spectacular. It will be heartwarming, and it will probably be tearful. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.